So we've been thinking about this whole encouragement thing. Uh, the power of encouragement is, is indeed powerful. It, it touches us in lots of different ways. I've appreciated several people have made things, uh, said things last week that have encouraged me, and I appreciate that. And, and, and that applies in so many different ways. And there's a reason that the New Testament continues to drive home the point, the need to encourage each other. And so we've, we've kind of talked throughout this series. The idea of, of encouragement is simply the idea to motivate others in the direction of Jesus. It's kind of doing something maybe that, that nudges them in some way, shape, or form in the direction of thinking, leaning upon, growing in, knowing about more of Jesus in their life. And so um, I tried over the last few weeks to kind of find a video that illustrates this idea. And I found a perfect one this week, I think, because there's a little boy named Phoenix who was a five-year-old young karate student who was uh, trying to break his board for the first time. And if you've ever, I've not done this. Um, uh, I've always been afraid to do that, actually. So Phoenix is one step ahead of me. And so, uh, but Phoenix is trying to break the board in karate class for the first time. He's having a little trouble. And so take a look at Phoenix, if you would please. Bring it Run fast. Let's go, So when I think of encouragement, that illustrates it, right? It's one person who is struggling in life, and people come around, they chant the name, they encourage, they say you can do it, and, and they rejoice on the other side of that. And, and I think that's a very good illustration of what biblical encouragement is about in the way of Jesus. That the, all of us, it is difficult to, to continue to walk out our faith on a regular basis. And, and we need someone, we need someones who are in our corner, who are cheering us on, who are telling us we can do it when we don't think we can. Um, and when we want to give up, they keep pushing us forward. And then after, when good things happen, they rejoice with that. And that's a picture of biblical encouragement. It's very much what Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 talks about. When it talks about if someone falls down, their companion can help to pick them up. And so this morning, we want to add to that list. We've looked at several people the last few weeks who illustrate this principle. We looked at Barnabas, and we looked at how Barnabas was the kind of guy who encouraged others by seeing the good in them that may not have been obvious. Or we saw Barnabas as a man who invested in the lives of others through the resources he had, and, and he encouraged and helped people in their moments of need. Or, or he extended new chances to people when they had failed, and, and he said, hey, get up and try this again. Or maybe it's the encouragement that you give to others isn't like Barnabas. Maybe it's like Onesiphorus that we looked at who just was the beauty of just being there in a, in a moment of, of need in a person's life. That one of the most valuable things you'll ever find is someone who is just there when things are going hard in your life. 
And last week we looked at the idea of Epaphras who encouraged others by being a, a man who wrestled in prayer for others that, that they would grow and they would be strong and that God would be uh, faithful to them and they would be faithful to God. And, and so there's that kind of encouragement as well. And we want to add one more name to that list today. And um, his name is Ananias. And Ananias is known in the Bible for being a man who speaks into a, a person's life, uh, words of life, by speaking the gospel to them. And perhaps one of the most encouraging things we are able, able to do, uh, putting it all together, is this whole idea of the ability to speak Jesus into the life of another person and, uh, and encourage them to realize that, hey, maybe in your moment of struggle, maybe in your moment of, of not knowing him, let me introduce you to this man, to this God who can change your life. And so uh, there is a moment in our life where we have to wrestle with that, though, because when I talk about Ananias and sharing our faith, there's immediate maybe fear or uncomfortableness that come into some of, of your hearts. And so sometimes those conversations are difficult. But it's been 25 years, and uh, I've been telling quality jokes for 25 years, so I've got one more to add to the list, okay? And so... Um, Here's the story. That there was a woman who uh, would, wanted to go to Europe on vacation, but she uh, was nervous about doing that because her mother was not in great health, and she had a cat that she uh, didn't really trust her husband to take care of all that well. And so she was nervous, and she really just kept putting the trip off and off and off. And, and finally, her husband came to her and said, Look, dear, you are capable of going on this trip. I will take care of your mom. I will take care of the cat. You just go off to Europe. You take your trip. Have a great time. Everything will be fine here. Okay? And so she goes off, and, and she's gone several days just seeing all the beautiful things of Europe and, and just enjoying herself. And finally, she comes to a place where she can call home. And so she calls home to her husband and, and just says, well, how's my cat, dear? And he said, well, I'm sorry, but while you've been gone, the cat died. Well, she was just taken aback by that, blown away. She loved this cat. I don't know why anybody would love a cat, but she loved the cat. It's part of a fictional story. But she loved the cat, and she was just blown away about the rudeness and the bluntness by which he told her. And so she said, look, dear, that's, you could have prepared my heart for this. I'm, a, I'm on the other side of the world, and I can't grieve my cat. I can't bury my cat. And so next time, if something like this happens, I, I, here's what I want you to know. You could have broken the news to me like this. When I called, you could have said, look, the cat is up on the roof, and I can't seem to get him down. And then tomorrow when I called you, you could have said, well, he kind of fell off the roof and the vet's trying to save his life. And the next day I could have called, he said, well, dear, I'm sorry, but your dear old cat didn't make it. And that would have eased me into the pain of what you just told me. And so he said, okay, fine, I'll try to do better in the future, honey. And they said, well, by the way, how's my mom? Well, your mom's on the roof and she's not coming down. So, um, and so that's uh, sometimes, I say that's quality. Every once in a while you get a good one. And so uh, after... Sometimes conversations are difficult to have, and how we say it, how we present things is sometimes a hard thing. And Ananias is a man who understood that, because Ananias was asked, asked to encourage Paul, and Saul at the time, as we're going to meet him, uh, was encourage Paul with words that Ananias isn't completely sure that are going to be well-received. In fact, there's a great deal of trepidation and nervousness that, in fact, Paul is not going to receive his words very well, but he's given a mission. He's given an invitation to go and present Jesus and talk to Jesus, talk about Jesus, to Paul, who has just met Jesus in a dramatic way on a road. And in doing so, he illustrates the importance of encouragement through speaking Jesus to other people. And so we meet Ananias in Acts chapter 9. 
And his story appears to us there. And, and as we listen to this and think about what he has to say to us, um, let's set some context here. Okay, we're not going to read this whole chapter, but, but just know that when we meet Saul, who later becomes the Paul that we know, who writes all the letters and does all the preaching stuff, but he was Saul before he met Paul, before he became Paul. Um, that's confusing. He was Saul before he became Paul. Okay, So he's Saul at this point in his life, and, and he's a man who has grown up in a Jewish community. He's heard and probably even was around when Jesus, he's very much contemporary age-wise to Jesus, and probably knew of Jesus very well as a religious man, a man who would have known a lot about Jesus, but he didn't like Jesus. He was so glad when Jesus was finally gone. When Jesus was crucified, he would have been counted with one of those Jewish people who were just glad this whole thing is done. But then these Christians begin to spread this rumor around that, that this Jesus is alive again, and they begin to worship him, and, and they've just got this fanatical passion to, to know him and to love him and to serve him. And, and, um, and so that created a hatred for Jesus that was directed at the lives of Christians, of followers of Jesus in his day. And so Saul became very passionate about eradicating Christianity, getting rid of any of these Jesus followers, making this go back in the shadows where it belonged in his opinion. And so he had a great reputation for being a man who harassed, intimidated, imprisoned, brought physical harm, maybe even death into the lives of a number of Christian people because of his hatred and his persecution of Jesus. And so Saul has left Jerusalem where he began this, this campaign and he's traveling to a nearby town of Damascus to continue the same mission of harassing and intimidating Christians into being quiet. And so this is where we pick up our story in Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 4. Because as he neared Damascus, as Saul neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord or sir? Probably is a better way to put that. Saul asked, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Now he gets up and he is now blind. There's these scaly things under his eyes if you keep reading in those verses. And he's now left in a place where he's blind and he's dependent upon others, and he's been confronted with a truth that he doesn't know what to do with in a lot of ways because he's built his entire life on this Jesus guy is dead, and he's gone, and I need to eliminate any rumor that he's not, but he's just appeared before me, and he's dramatically changed my ability to see, changed my thinking, and so Paul is in a, in a very difficult situation. And so that's part of the story that begins it. But Jesus had a new vision for Saul's life, but he needed a visit. He needed someone with flesh and blood who was going to help him move forward in this new journey. And that's where Ananias comes to encourage him. Or at least Jesus wants him to go encourage him. And so in Acts chapter 9, verse 10, we pick up our story that in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called him in a vision Ananias, and note his response. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, what do you want, Lord? What do you need, Lord? That's a great response whenever you read something or you know that God would have you to do something. A good response of yes, Lord, is always the preferred answer. So he answers, yes, Lord. And the Lord told him, I want you to go to the house of Judas on Straight Street, and I want you to ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. 
And what you find there is that Ananias is beginning to do the math on this, right? Okay, I'm going to this street, I'm going to this house, I'm going to ask for this guy, and this guy is praying. But, but this name is a name that we know well. And this, something's not adding up here. And so Jesus goes on to say, in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports. You ever do this? God, if you like, God's maybe nudging something, but you begin to tell God all the reasons why you shouldn't do this. That's what Ananias does. I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. And so what you're asking me to do is to walk into the lion's den here and to walk right into his hands. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, and placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up, was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. And so put yourself in Ananias' sandals for a moment. He's a willing servant, as you can see by his little phrase, yes, Lord, but he's also afraid. He's nervous. He knows that Saul has a reputation and why he was on the road to Damascus. He knows that Saul's not a man who likes people like him, a Christian. And he probably also knew people who had suffered at Saul's hands at some point in the past, and, and he knew his past. But he's also confronted with the truth that Jesus knew Saul's future, and that Jesus had a very different version of the future laid out for Saul than he has ever lived before. In fact, it would not only change Saul's life and his name to Paul, but it would change the lives of millions of people, even today as we read his story thousands of miles away and thousands of years later, he knew that this would change the world. And yet, Jesus knew Saul's future, but to get there, he needed a conversation. He needed someone to guide him in this process, these steps that he wanted him to take. And so Jesus needed a willing heart and a willing voice. And Ananias comes and he offers to be that. A willing heart and a willing voice with simple the word, simply the words, yes, Lord, I'll go, I will do it. And so the Lord is still looking for that. And, and oftentimes when we think of encouragement, that can come in many forms. But I would dare say that some of the most encouraging words that have been spoken to you in your life are words of, let me tell you about who Jesus is. Because I'm okay, I, I can help you, I can be there, you can be there for me, you can be there for others. We can do certain things, but there's another set of things that only Jesus can do. And so it should be the goal of every encourager every Christian to say, you know what, I, I want to be there for you. I want to comfort. I want to give. I want to share. I want to surround you the best I can, but I always want to lead you to Jesus because Jesus can do things in your life that I can never do. And so that's Ananias's role is to help him understand this whole thing that he's being called into. And so the message of Jesus that Ananias shared was encouraging to Saul on multiple levels. And I just want to walk through those three levels um, and, and just very quickly, they're not probably things you haven't heard or thought of before, but I just want to remind you of the encouragement that they bring to us. 
as, as they change us, as they impact us and affect us the way they did Saul. And they will us if we surrender to them. And so the first thing I think that you see as you kind of look at Ananias' encouragement to Saul is he opens his eyes and helps him to see this. He helps him to see the potential of living forever with Jesus. And imagine in our text the radical shift that that was because Saul goes from being a man who um, was passionately driven to eliminate everything about Jesus from the world, right? He wants nothing. He doesn't want Jesus' name uttered. He doesn't want people believing in him, trusting him, following him, obeying him, and doing anything with him. And yet his world is completely shifted on that road when the one he proclaimed and believed to be dead now appears to him in the bright lights and begins to speak to him. And so this whole thing of this whole resurrected Jesus thing, and, and, and as people try to explain why is the Christian movement spread around the world, it wasn't become some, because some nice fancy book dropped out of the sky and people just started believing in it randomly. Uh, again, the whole story of, of the church, the whole story of Christianity always begins here. That one man was dead and now he's alive again, and he begins to appear to these people and radically changes their life. And, and Saul goes from being a persecutor to being a believer that all of a sudden I was skeptical. I would have died on the hill of he's dead. Now I will die on the hill of he's alive, and there's nothing you can do to convince me otherwise. And it radically changed his life, and it changed our world because of that. And so the simple idea of Ananias coming and saying to him, look, this Jesus whom you have been persecuting, that you've just met on the road, um, he's someone much bigger than this. And I think you're figuring this out, Saul. But let me guide you in that process. And so he encouraged him by helping him to see that this Jesus wasn't just a guy who lived for a while and died, but that he's God who lived and who died and who rose again. And, and he ought to be worshipped, ought to be surrendered to. And it just changed the way that that Saul looked at life. It was no longer this little window of what can I do for me, but all of a sudden you see that there's this life and life is good, life is valuable, life ought to be pursued and, and, and lived with vigor, uh, but there's this life to be lived after. And the potential of living with Jesus forever changes everything about you because you're more willing to trust him, you're more willing to risk for him, you're more willing to obey him when you realize that this little window of time that is my life when I die, it doesn't end, but it really just begins because eternity is a long, long time. And so Paul was given this opportunity to understand that, that because Jesus lived and died and rose again, that there is this new hope, there's this new passion, there's this new thing that kind of broadens your horizons, broadens your sight as you look at life in general. And so Paul was introduced to a forever kind of life that Jesus could bring to him. And that's a mind-changing, life-changing moment for us when someone comes to know that and believe that. But that's good news, but it's only good news if you're ready to meet the end. And that's where the second thing I want you to see, that the thing that Ananias guided Paul to, or guided Paul to understand is, that, is this, that he can live at peace with himself, number two. That there can be this quality of life where we live at peace with ourselves, but that's not just a mental shift. That is a, I can live at peace with myself because I'm now at peace with God through Christ. And because I have been made right with God through Christ, there's this peace that begins to enter life. So he sees life for the forever potential that it could be, but he also sees this peace that begins to fill in and, and change and, and work in his life. A lot of people um, I know, and even in my own thinking about my life, um, are pretty okay with the idea. I like the idea of living forever with God, 
But there's this nervousness. There's this little fear that sometimes just kind of hides in our soul that uh, helps us stop and think about what would be the potential or what would it be like to stand before God? What would it be like to stand before Christ um, when I know what my life has been like? When I know that there's been moments that I'm not proud of or, or things that people have done that they, they just can't seem to forgive themselves of or others won't forgive them for themselves of or things that have just happened and you think, what could I stand, how could I stand before God? And, and there's just this nagging thing, well, I'm going to have to pay for that someday. There's just this justice part of us that thinks I'm going to have to pay for that someday. So many people go through life really not thinking they can be forgiven because of bad things they've done or they will do. And we have this nagging fear that we're going to have to pay the piper at some point in life. And so sometimes people just try to try harder, kind of lean into that. If I try really hard, maybe I can just be good. But that always leaves us back in the same frustrating, disappointing place. We can't do that. But Ananias didn't encourage Paul to get up and try harder. He got up. Or actually, he just came to him and said, I want you to introduce you to this beautiful concept called grace. I want to introduce you to grace, Saul. I want you to meet what grace is. And I want you to see what grace does and what it says. And that he could be saved not because of what he had or hadn't done, but by, living, but by this living Jesus and what this living Jesus had already done for him in dying for him and raising again for him. That there was this potential for peace with God through Christ and even this inner peace that we can have knowing that I can be forgiven and I can be made right and I, and I can have that gone from my life and there's a peace that comes with that. I love how Romans connects not just the death of Jesus for us, but also the death and the resurrection. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 4, verse 25. Um, when he says this, that Jesus was handed over to die because of our sins. And so that's the cross. That's, that's Good Friday, right, of, of what Jesus has done for us. That he, has handed, he was handed over to die because you and I sinned. And so what I was guilty of, the thing I was due to pay back that I couldn't pay back, Jesus took. But I loved how he finishes it by connecting the resurrection with it because the cross is fine. It makes a great claim, but how can I trust the cross that it really took care of my sins? Well, that's what Sunday kicks in. That when all of a sudden he comes back and it's God's way of saying an exclamation point on the cross saying, hey, this was effective because look, this man did what no one had ever done. He died for sin, and then God raised him up again as a, a way of just reconfirming to us again that the price he paid on the cross was effective, it was helpful, it can be trusted in, and that I can find peace in that. And so he says he was raised to life to make us right with God or to bring justification to our life. And so you and I have this beautiful potential to live a life of peace. And so many of us are searching for peace in life, and the encouragement of the gospel is this beautiful thing that, that there can be peace in your life. Not because you're right, not because you're trying hard and doing better than others, but because somebody has paid your price and that you can be forgiven. And I think as you read the story of the book of Acts, and then as you read Paul's letters, I think it's significant that Paul continues to talk about his testimony. He continues to talk about who he was and how grace forgave him through Christ and, and how he was new again. In fact, in the book of Acts, his testimony is shared three times here in chapter 9, in chapter 22, and in chapter 26. And then throughout the many of his letters, Paul's oftentimes talking about himself as the chief of sinners, uh, the least deserving of anything from God because I persecuted the church and now I get to be the church's preacher. And so Paul understood the dramatic shift in the depths to which Christ had to reach to save him. And I wonder 
if he didn't do that on purpose. I wonder if the book of Acts, as, as Luke wrote that for us, if he didn't include that story over and over as a way of saying to anybody who would ever doubt, anybody who would ever struggle to think, well, I don't know if I can be good enough to deserve this whole salvation thing. And so three different times we're told of the story of, of this Saul who meets Jesus and, and his life is changed forever. You see, the promise of forgiveness, the promise of having the past forgiven is a powerful promise and an encouraging promise for us. And in fact, Paul, I, I love the way he puts it in Acts chapter 22, verse 16, as he tells the story again to a different context, to a different group of people in the book of Acts. But he says this, that you will be witnesses, this is Ananias talking to him, that you will be his witness, witness to all people of what you have seen and heard, and now what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized, washing your sins away, calling on his name. And what a powerful truth that was in Paul's life to realize as he listed all the things he had done, all the blood he had shed, all the people he had hurt, all the disbelief and rebelliousness and, and stubbornness of his heart, that, that could God forgive that? And Ananias' encouragement was, through Jesus, yes, he can. He can forgive that, and it can be gone, and you can be new, and, and, and in Christ you can find this new life. And so the encouragement sometimes comes in sharing that, hey, life is not just this little between birth date and death date, but life can be with Jesus forever, but also life can be lived in peace with God and with yourself because there's forgiveness available to us. But also, number three, it's a simple idea that there can be encouragement that our life can count as we live on purpose for others. What was the message that was given uh, to, to Saul, to Paul? Hey, you're going to live for something much bigger than this. You've lived for this little vendetta you've been living out to try to get rid of Jesus and his followers. Well, I'm going to change that. I'm going to turn that upside down. And you're going to be the preacher for Jesus who goes to the Gentiles. And, and you're going to go throughout the whole, Ro whole Roman world. And you're going to preach about this Jesus. And you're going to change the eternal destinies of millions of people because you do. He was living for something much bigger, a much greater purpose and, and so much of what we need to be encouraged in is to have a real purpose that is bigger than ourselves, that lasts and, and is meaningful. And so much of what the gospel offers for us is found in that. And so I'll finish this with two things. The first is this. A couple of weeks ago, we used a little phrase that, um, as we talked about the value and the importance of just being there for people. And I'm not changing that sermon by what I'm about to do. But I think there's another level to that as well, that as we're there for people, we also need to add something to that. That in moments of despair, when we wonder if anyone cares, our lives are changed by those who are there. But I also think that as you add to that this little phrase, and I think our lives are changed also by the good news that they share. Can you go to that slide? You got that one? Yeah. There you go. And the good news that they share. Just add that little phrase because people are there. That is a beautiful and a valuable thing, and we should pursue that trait but also, we also need the courage to sometimes to speak up, and, and not in a judgmental, hateful way, but just in a loving way, pointing people to Jesus with our words. That sometimes your life, for all of us, if you're a Christian here, it happened because someone dared and loved you enough to speak into your life and say, I'm here, but I want you to know about this Jesus guy. I want you to know what he offers you. I want you to know what he can do uh, to, to give you a perspective on life and to, to give you this peace that you can live with and to give you this, this purpose to live and to serve this world with that's much bigger than you and the shallow things that you and I can come up with. And so the good news that we share with others is a beautiful encouragement to other people. So I'll finish with this picture. Um, I was reminded of this this week. Um, this baseball player is a guy by the name of Jim Rice. 
And Jim Rice was a Baseball Hall of Famer, went into the Baseball Hall of Fame about 10 years ago, played for the Boston Red Sox for about 15, 16 years. And um, when he went into the Hall of Fame, there's a lot of things he remembered about his baseball career. But this is the story that he said he remembered more than any of the baseball stuff. He was at a ball, ball game one day on August 7th, 1982, um, and there was a family, the Keene family, who had gotten seats just a couple of rows behind the dugout, and, and uh, this little boy was about four years old, and is there with his dad and his brother, and, and a line drive off the bat went straight over the dugout and, and smacked uh, Jonathan Keene in the head hit him right beside the head, and, and of course, he began to cry, but he also began to bleed profusely, and this was the day before cell phones, as Derek told us, uh, that we couldn't just call a phone and get somebody there. It, took, it was going to take a little while for people to get there to help him, and, and Jim Rice looked at the situation, was standing right beside the dugout, realized somebody needs to do something. This person needs help. And the biggest encouragement he could do is he jumped into the stands, grabbed the little boy, picked him back up, jumped onto the field, into the dugout where there were trained medical people there that were working with the team who began to perform life-saving things. And he's credited with saving this young boy's life um, because of his willingness to, uh, to step into a situation where a lot of people were just paralyzed by and, and didn't really want to, didn't know what to do and, and because there was no help available. But he stepped in to a situation that was probably messy, was probably a little scary, a little intimidating, but he just knew it was the right thing to do. And so the world needs people like that. Uh, your friends need people like that. Your neighborhoods, your schools, your workplaces need people like that who will just encourage others by stepping into those gaps and say, you know what? I just want to encourage whatever, if I'm a Barnabas today, if I'm a Onesiphorus today, if I'm a Epaphras today, if I'm an Ananias today, I just want to be an encourager in my life. And those kinds of people are going to have stories to tell long years from now. Before they forget what you did, they'll remember exactly who you were as an encourager.